Hello and welcome back to Witch Fix. I'm Sarah and today I'm talking about my favourite contemporary Wiccan series of novels or solid one book if you buy them all as the collected edition like I did and I can't believe it took me so long to actually find these books and read them but if you haven't read them go and buy them right now. I'll wait here. Just just open a new tab. Just go and buy them right now. Uh, they are the Bell Book and Murder series or the Bast novels uh, which are three novels written by Rosemary Edgehill and they all feature the main character of Bast who is a Wiccan living in New York in the 90s and basically she solves murders that occur in the occult community because often she finds that there is either no mundane crime that has been committed but there is a contravention of the rules of the craft um, as in the first book, or that there are the police are themselves not equipped with enough occult knowledge to actually solve the crime and get to the bottom of it. And she also finds that a lot of these murders just sort of happen around her. So very much like Agatha Christie characters, she ends up sort of becoming involved in the situation when the murder occurs and then is herself involved in solving the crime. A little bit of background on Rosemary Edgehill. She is an American writer and she's written quite a lot of like Regency romances, but also a lot of fantasy stories as well. She has quite well-known series uh, such as the Hellflower series, uh, the Bass series, obviously, which is the one I'm talking about, and the Twelve Treasure series. I couldn't find any information as to whether she was actually Wiccan but she has written the Bass series which is obviously about a Wiccan character and also one of her romance stories which I think is called Met by Moonlight uh, that features a Wiccan character as well so I think she's probably done her research even if she's not Wiccan herself although I again I couldn't find any confirmation or denial of that anywhere. I got this book because I was researching for writing my own crime novel featuring a Wiccan character and that's out now it's called Dead to Rights and it's on Amazon and somehow I never come across the Bell Book and Murder novels before but if you look for like Wiccan fiction it generally is like one of the third books to come up the first two being The Witches of Eastwick and Practical Magic so this is quite a well-known series of books but I mean I'd never come across it and neither had my other pagan friends so I was like okay I should probably do an episode on this anyway. So the book I have is called Bell Book and Murder and it is a collection of the Bast novels which are in order Speak Daggers to Her, The Book of Moons and The Bowl of Night and those were published between 1994 and 1996. So they are set in New York, Bast lives in various shitty apartments as does everyone else that she knows they have like answering machines and they buy six packs of beers and they eat ramen noodles and it's all very 90s and it kind of feels like a slightly grittier version of friends but in the wiccan community is the best way i could describe it it has that kind of uh slightly vintage feel now because obviously it's it's set in the 90s and it's also set in america so there's a lot of reference in it that i just don't get but aside from that, it is just very good to read and it's very entertaining to kind of step back in time slightly from where we are now. Bast's character is quite cool. Um, she's very 
assertive and quite a strong character she's not passive or airy fairy or a hippie she definitely believes in justice and that's one of the things that i find most attractive about her bast herself has been initiated into a gardenerian coven she's reached third degree initiation and she's toying with the idea of striking out on her own and forming her own coven through most of the books she's sort of unwilling to leave the group that she's in uh, but also feels this need to strike out and make it on her own and she has a very unique voice which makes reading the books really nice it sort of feels like stepping into the character entirely it's such a strong voice that it will just take you through the books and you really want to get into it and you find yourself kind of thinking in terms of what would Bast do even as you're out and about on your daily routine. Bast also features in a collection of short stories uh, they've appeared in like different pagan publications that I've not heard of but they were collected together into a book called Failure of Moonlight which I've recently read and those stories are Advice from a Young Witch to an Old Priestess, The Iron Bride, A Winter's Tale and Burden of Guilt uh, and then there's also a children's story in it called The Christmas Witch and those stories take place at various points throughout the Bast trilogy and apparently there was a fourth book in the works that it just uh, it hasn't been published and it might never be published and honestly I kind of want to read it but it might never be there so uh, I'm not going to review the books individually really but I am just going to give a brief rundown on, on what they're about so the first one speak daggers to her is the first murder that Bast is involved with and the first one she has to solve and it's basically um, someone that she knows from the Wiccan community called Miriam is found dead in her apartment and she's quite a young lady it's a bit of a suspicious death uh, and then she gets home later on that day and finds an answer machine message that Miriam left just before her death saying that the group that she'd been involved in were scaring her and there was some weird stuff going on and that she wanted Bast's help and that makes her very suspicious and she decides to investigate. The second book uh, book of moons is all about uh, a book of shadows which i think is meant to be like the grimoire of mary queen of scots and it's this very desirable artifact to people who think that uh, wicca has a long standing as a religion and that it wasn't just invented in the 1950s that it, it goes back way beyond that and there have been secret witch meetings all over the world throughout history and there is a, a case of this book and obviously people being murdered around it and also a case of other people's books of shadows uh, that they were writing in modern times or in the 90s when this takes place also being stolen and going missing so bast is on the case of that one and then the final book uh, the bowl of night takes place at a, a wiccan festival where bast is working on behalf of the local occult shop uh, selling stock for them and an extreme right-wing preacher who very christian very against witchcraft is found murdered in an occult ceremony on the first night just outside of town and bast has to try and find out like who did it and assist the local police in their investigations i really like the settings of all of these stories uh, and the way that they are grounded in pagan law in the first one you've got obviously um a lot of talk about what how you find the right coven and how you identify people who are trouble and the kind of ethics of being in a wiccan circle and running one uh, and being a searcher and what that means for you in terms of your safety and the second book is focused very much on 
the provenance of Wicca as a religion, uh, the function of a book of shadows and, and what it means to different people. And the third book is about pagan gatherings, uh, the kind of collection of personalities that you get at, at events like that, uh, the community as a whole uh, and the sort of prejudices against it, both internal prejudices of one group against another and from external people. I think all that was really quite interesting. Having said that, I actually like the first book the most and then my liking for them decreases. So the first one I think is great. The second one is also a very enjoyable read, but slightly unsatisfying at the end. And I found the third one a bit of a difficult read, uh, especially the crime in that and how it's solved and the actual who did it element um, left me kind of annoyed and upset because it's basically a character that I didn't like in the first two books. Uh, who turns out to be responsible for the murder and I kind of saw it coming and wasn't very happy about it. In terms of the actual who did the crime um, you can actually predict the killers in the novels quite easily. It's less about finding out who did it than finding out how it was done and why which is a style of writing that I respect. It doesn't always have to be about finding out who did it uh, so much as finding out some of the other elements of the crime so I don't really judge them for that. I definitely recommend these books. Um, they are a little bit dated, a little bit uh, American centric, but everything in them seems to have been quite ruthlessly researched, um, specifically like the way the community interacts, even as an English person who's into paganism, you know, 10 years after these books are set, which is when I got into paganism, then I can still see some of the truth elements in that. And I definitely know that the stuff that they're saying about Wicca is accurate, so I assume what is being said about other traditions is similarly accurate. I love all the peripheral characters that are introduced in the book, um, particularly Glitter. Uh, Glitter is the craft name of one of the characters, and she really loves sparkles and glitter, and she's a New York City social worker. Bast uh, herself, uh, Bast is her craft name. Her real name is Karen Hightower, which is an amazing name. I love it. Uh, and... I just love all the the richness of the setting, both in terms of where it's set in the pagan community and also in like 90s New York, where she's freelancing at a graphic design agency in her little apartment with all its like shitty little quirks and inconveniences. I really like that. It's really atmospheric. The actual crime element of the books is quite well written it has its faults but at the end of the day they are still very satisfying reads uh, and I cannot recommend it enough as being probably the best example of pagan fiction in that it is very much wicca and paganism as opposed to fantasy elements um, you can read it that way you can read it in the sense that magic is real and that what that is what she's experiencing but it is very much magic experienced in the way that a wiccan practitioner would experience it in that there isn't any bells and whistles and sudden lightning strikes it's all very it's all very mundane in the way that the magic actually comes about for example in the first book um bast goes to miriam's apartment to investigate and sort of look around and find anything that could give a clue as to how and why she died and it feels very um dark and it feels like there's bad energy in there because of something that miriam was keeping her apartment something bad that she brought there with her and so 
Bast lights a candle on the altar and she burns some incense and she feels a lightning. She sees that the goddess statue on the altar, which Miriam has been neglecting because she's gotten involved in this new tradition, uh, has brightened slightly and that the atmosphere has lifted and she feels protected. And that's very much how I experience witchcraft. And so it's nice to read about uh, a character who has those same experiences as me. I've mentioned the predictability of the killer. And aside from that annoyance, um, there is one other thing about the books that does irritate me. And that is that Bast seems to create a lot of her problems for herself by just not talking to the police or not going along with police procedure that annoys me in books because um i watch a lot of law and order and i know that like people need to collect evidence in the proper way and not contaminate it or you know you're not going to be able to make a criminal case and admittedly that is not bass concern she wants to get to the bottom of things so that she knows not necessarily so the person can be prosecuted but at the same time it does give me a bit of a, a bad feeling like for example, um, when she goes back into Miriam's apartment when she's not meant to because it's a crime scene. And uh, to give another example from one of the short stories in Failure of Moonlight, she finds a sword which has been used in a murder and she then picks it up out of the, the garbage where she's found it. And then she doesn't immediately call the police and say, hey, I've just found the murder weapon and I'm pretty sure I know who killed this guy she goes to confront that guy by herself and I feel like that creates quite a lot of the problems later on it's sort of manufacturing her own drama in a way because she really could have just called the police and told them what she knew and let them handle that aspect of it and I realise that you can't really do that in order to have a plot and that's what's quite difficult about having civilian investigators in books like this um, in that you have to find ways for them to still be involved in the investigation when in reality the police would basically be dealing with all of it and I think that is handled better in the third book because she has much more involvement and help from the police. I'm going to read you a little bit from book one which is Speak Daggers to her. It's not a bit right from the beginning but I thought that it would be nice because it just gives you kind of a um, an idea of what the community is like and sort of how Bast talks about them and the people that she knows. So um, I'm just going to read a bit from page 17 onwards. And this starts off with um, a description of one of the occult shops. The main occult shop that they use as sort of a hub for the community in the, the book is called The Snake. But this is an occult shop frequented by... Uh, a slightly different clientele, which uh, Bast is quick to comment on. Once upon a time, a bunch of devout, right-thinking, lesbian, separatist goddess worshippers got fed up with the sneaky snake and decided to start their own occult bookstore. Chanter's Revel first opened its doors about five years back, and contrary to conventional wisdom, which is that 50% of all new businesses fail every year, is still going strong. They didn't cater as much to the dried bats and floor washes crowd as the snake does. The revel shopper is more likely to be shopping for homeopathic herbs and crystal jewellery, along with the hottest new titles on how to start your own feminist ecosystem. The revel also brews a mean cup of red zinger tea, 25 cents and bring your own cup. I pushed open the door and slid into the shop. For reasons involving rents and overhead, the revel is located in an area that only the most depraved real estate agent could call Soho. It's south of Houston, all right, and probably east of the sun and west of the moon as well. 
It's also one of the few establishments of any sort that has its own herb garden out back. It was Friday night, and Toller, who is one half of Toller and Carrie, the Revel ownership, holds a TGIF ritual every Friday around 9pm, East Coast Pagan time, which means, in practice, about 10.30, but the Friday ritual is mostly for regulars and they don't mind. The Revel doesn't have indoor ritual space like the snake does, so Fridays are held in the Revel's little back garden, or with everybody crammed inside if it rains. Tonight was going to be a back garden night, goddess willing. People were already queuing up to drink a quarter of a cup of tea and stand around and gossip. Toller waved from the cash register beside the door. I headed for the tea urn. I didn't see lace anywhere. I fished my cup out of its hiding place, rank hath its privileges, and dropped a quarter in the box. I poured myself some zinger. I had a number of reasons for wanting to see lace. Number one, or possibly two on the list, being that if she had phoned the police about Miriam before I had and got herself on tape with it, I was probably going to have some really awkward questions to answer eventually. And, for no good reason, I wanted to ask Lace why Miriam was wearing a chicken foot around her neck when she died. I'm not a religious bigot. I can't have an opinion on something I haven't studied. This leaves me voting no award on a lot of new age so-called spiritual pathways. Most people are turned off by the Santerios sacrificing chickens to their gods, but exactly how is that different from a kosher butcher slaughtering baby goats for Passover? Mostly the difference is that the Fleischer is pulling down 80000 a year and has a condo in Palm Beach, and the Ocean is on welfare and lives in a fifth floor walk-up in Queens. Never tell me money doesn't talk. Money's the left-hand path, the ruler of the things of Earth. So my self-image requires an open mind. Fine. And some gods require blood sacrifices. Fine. It's between them and their worshippers and the legal code of the United States. And some spiritual paths have window dressing that's a real cage rattler. Ever check out Tibetan Buddhism? This is also fine. But since all these things were so fine, why was I getting Gru and goosebumps because Miriam was wearing a piece of chicken that the chicken certainly wasn't going to miss now? Oh, it isn't that I don't believe in evil. It's just that it's rarer than the funny mentalist televangelists tend to think. I prefer to distinguish among evil and stupid and weird. Maybe if I could talk to Lace, I could be sure which category Miriam's jewellery fell into. And maybe I could get some sort of handle on why she was dead. It made no sense. There hadn't been a mark on her that I remembered. Not AIDS, not drugs, not terminal cancer. And if she had any medical kinks from diabetes or a bad heart, she would have been sure to mention it at some point as proof of her great psychic power. People do. Miriam Seabrook was dead. For no reason. Without even the excuse of traffic accident or urban violence. I wanted to talk the experience to death and bury it in words. And the only person I could do that with wasn't anywhere. If it wasn't unfair... You wouldn't know it was life. I poured myself a second cup of tea and tried to distract myself with the bookshelves. There wasn't much there I wanted. I do my book buying at Wiser's or The Snake. My kind of wicker is too masculinist and hierarchical for the good ladies of Chanter's Revel, which is where I do my fraternising. A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, as someone said just after he jumped to political parties. I took one more hopeful look around to see if Lace had come to earth. It had often been said that a significant percentage of Grateful Dead groupies make their living by touring the country, following the band and selling Grateful Dead memorabilia to other Grateful Dead groupies who also make their living by touring the country, following the band, and you get the idea. For sheer incestuous symbiosis, neo-pagans have them beats all hollow.
Without moving from my place under a woman hold up half the sky poster, I could count two occult silversmiths, one mail order herbalist, a candle maker, a guy who sandblasts mirrors with the holy symbol of your choice, a pretty good and very expensive astrologer, and a couple of people who regularly read tarot at the snake on Wednesdays. It's a wonder Toller and Carrie don't go broke. Half the customers at the Revel are their suppliers. No lace. I suddenly realised that I could not face a TGIF ritual tonight. Miriam's death didn't belong in it, and I wasn't sure I wanted to tell anybody about it just yet anyway. I also realised I promised Ray I'd finish those damn galleys still sitting on my board at work before Monday. Weekends are for sissies. I decided to circulate a little more in the name of showing the flag, and also to give Lace one last chance to show up and make me a great excuse for leaving. I saw everybody else, but I didn't see Lace. Just as the party was starting to move outside, Toller pulled the shade with the picture of Mama Carly and the clothes sign down over the glass part of the door. I managed to corner Carrie. Seen Lace? Carrie frowned, which made her look cute and ultra-mundane both, and made me wonder yet again what life would be like if I weren't so painfully straight, and made a sincere effort to remember every personal interaction of the last 12 hours. She left here about five. She was going to meet that Miriam Seabrook. Carrie wrinkled her nose in a way that indicated Miriam was not one of us, and from Carrie that was the equivalent of anyone else's screaming Philippic, and go to that new Greek place to eat. Lace was supposed to bring us back some falafel, but it's okay because Lou bought in pizza and we split that. She finished in a rush, just in case I might think she was goddess avert, mad at Lace. That settled it. If Carrie said Lace hadn't come back, she hadn't, and in a store that measured 10 feet by 30, someone Lace's size would, wouldn't be invisible. Well, okay, I said, which Carrie could take any way she liked. I went out the back door of the revel with everyone else and then down to the bottom of the garden, and through the gate, and down the alley, and out. And I wondered what Miriam Seabrook, dead space cadet, could possibly have done in life to put that look on gentle Carrie's face. From that extract, you can probably tell that, one, there's quite a lot of large words in this book. Um, it's very kind of highbrow in its language sometimes especially when it talks about spiritual traditions there is no effort made really to accommodate a reader who doesn't have the vaguest grasp of paganism and they don't really explain a lot of the terms to do with um, how different groups are defined which on one hand I kind of like because it's more authentic because obviously you wouldn't really have to explain these things while just talking to other members of the pagan community. But sometimes it does feel a little bit like, look at me, I did a research for this book. Uh, something else that happens a lot is breaking up paragraphs with um, dashes, hyphens, uh, and inserting Bast's thoughts in the middle. So sometimes it's hard to remember what she was sort of saying at the beginning of the paragraph. Uh, for example... Uh, for example, the paragraph I read from page 19, where it says, Carrie frowned, hyphen, which made her look cute and ultra mundane both, and made me wonder yet again what life would be like if I wasn't so painfully straight, hyphen, and made a sincere effort to remember every personal interaction of the last 12 hours. So the actual sentence there is, Carrie frowned and made a sincere effort to remember every personal interaction of the last 12 hours. And it's that section that's kind of injected into the middle that makes it a little bit like oh wait what was happening at the start of this paragraph i forget we've been going on for quite a while uh, i'm in the habit of doing that as well i like to put sort of brackets in the middle of paragraphs to insert extra thoughts um but it can be a bit of a jolt for the reader especially if they're going to get taken off down a different path and then smacked straight back into the original sentence and be like oh wait what what was going on what was happening 
who are we talking to what were they thinking about so it's definitely one of those books um where if that's going to annoy you um i'm sorry about that but it, it's it's definitely quite a popular thing that is done uh, throughout all three books a lot of it is also um bass slightly wry um opinions on different pagan paths and as different religious paths and doctrines in general uh she can come off as a bit sharp and sarcastic which i really like but um obviously uh, some readers might find that offensive or they might not get on with that kind of character so she's not a very sort of soft and hippie like earth mother she is very um opinionated about quite a lot of different things and she's definitely there is a sense in the text that she's working to be accepting but at the same time she's not having the wool pulled over her eyes by anyone and she'll be the first person to say this sounds like garbage and i'm really wondering what's in it for you by promoting it i really do recommend buying these books you can buy them i believe singly um under their original titles you can also buy the bell book and murder edition which has the first three novels in it or the only three novels in it and you can also buy failure of moonlight uh, for the short stories failure of moonlight is about three pounds new from amazon so if you're not sure you're going to get on with bast uh, you might want to buy that first although it does presuppose in some of the stories some of the knowledge from the books about the character i think so you may want to check out the the novels first in that case. I think some of them have been made into ebooks. I'm not sure which ones yet because um, there seems to be a bit of confusion amongst the authors' different websites or social media pages about which ones are out in ebook. But definitely have a look for those. Cannot recommend these highly enough. If you read literally any book that has been recommended by this podcast please do read at least Speak Daggers to Her, the first Bass novel, because I promise you will not be disappointed. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. and um, Please do let me know if you do pick up any of these books and what you thought of them. You can do that by getting in touch on Twitter at Witchfix or by email, which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, you can also donate to my Patreon. There's a link in the description for this episode. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye. <laughs>